Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? Comics Podcast for the Savage Critics website. It's the second and final of our two installments for episode 11, and in it, Graham McMillan and I talk about Jack Kirby's Loser Omnibus, The Hunger Dogs, Jimmy Olsen, Rucka, Gates, and Robinson's recently wrapped run on Superman, Action Comics, and the World of New Krypton. Then, apparently, Skype decides it's had enough of me talking trash about the Comixology app and cuts things short. Sorry for that, but we hope you enjoy it, and thanks for listening. We're back for round two, baby. Don't call me baby. <laughs> I, I've told you before, baby, it's all for me. Really? I just thought it would be nice to have some sort of, like, you know, like, it's clobbering time, or sometimes we just go into these, like, so cold, like, I, honestly, I think half of half of our, like, podcast openings are you going, hello, and me going, hello, like, I'm like... Well, that, that's because, people understand that that's because the start of the podcast is actually the start of our conversation, right? Yeah, like, no, I like, was... I yeah. love the idea that someone does not think that, and just thinks that we're like, okay, let's record. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm sure they get that, but I also feel like we should have some sort of Avengers Assemble type, I don't know, starting thing. Or didn't didn't we sort of toy with sort of doing an introduction on the podcast itself, where we were like, "Hello, this is another episode of Weight Loss." Yeah, I think the we actually now, did that. the now available on iTunes podcast, That's and right. also like weekly for the last three weeks. What the hell is that about? I know, isn't that crazy? It's, um, it's, it kind of disturbs me. Yeah, yeah, me too. I, I was explaining this to Kate earlier on, and she was like, why, why are you, you know, you used to do it like once every three months. Why, <laughs> why are you doing it weekly now? And I was like, we just are. We're on iTunes. We're trying to be like, good at this. <laughs> I think we're doing a pretty good job. I mean, you know, it's I, or at least as good as we are. I've been enjoying it. Are, are you? I, I'm, I'm having a lot of fun. I, I just hope the um, our dear listeners are, are not absolutely hating it. Yeah, I, generally, no one has yet to actually weigh in with the, you know what, a little of you guys go a long way, I have to it's say. Cut back on the whole podcasting thing there, guys. <laughs> well, it's, it's quite possible. I mean, Lord knows. Well, because every once in a while I'd hear from people who are like, yeah, I like downloaded all of them and then listened to them on my drive on my way to, gosh, I'm that's, sorry. Was it- that's when you totally do podcasts. You totally do podcasts. When you're on your way to work or something. Well, on your way to work, yeah, but but like an eight-hour drive? I don't know. I don't know. When we do big drives, I tend to download lots of, for example, the Bugle, the Times Online thing. Oh, okay. See, I... I, I'm now reading. Our average rating is five stars on iTunes. That's just insane. Isn't that great? That That makes me kind of humble, to be perfectly honest with you. <laughs> Like really, I, if if you're not a relative, then thank you. Yeah, if exactly. you are a relative, thank you as well. But you know what I mean. Yeah, just you got to tell me in advance, Graham. Are you like going to log in and vote us down a little bit? <laughs> yes, I am. Exactly that would be great. <laughs> Screw us up. Like our comment. Really, we need improvement, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We need the negative criticism. <laughs> That would be great. Don't you know if people compliment Graham, it makes him uncomfortable? It's yeah. true, though. It, it, it does. <laughs> I, I do very badly as compliments. I know. I know. It's one of the wonderful things about you. It, it's the wonderful thing about me. <laughs> so listen, the book I, I was teasing you about last time. Yes. Jack Kirby's The Losers. 
<gasps> oh, yeah. Holy crap, that was much better than I expected. It, it's kind of amazing, I, I, isn't I, it? I pretty much got it because I was like, you know, it's Kirby. Mm-hmm. How, how bad can it be? But exactly. uh, it's really interesting. Have you seen the collection? Yes, yes. And in fact, I was going to... I, I had planned a big mega post about it that I didn't get around to writing that perhaps I'll get inspired after hearing you talk about. Um, but um, the, the collection starts with Neil Gaiman's forward, and mm-hmm. Neil Gaiman completely crystallizes my feelings going into the book, which is I don't like horror comics, but I like Kirby. Mm-hmm. So let's see how it goes. And it's true. It's not really a horror comic. I mean, it is. And it's, it's funny to see Kirby do things that, to me, are very traditionally horror comic, like here's a page of tanks. Yes, you know, here's guns that were used in fights. You know, and, and that seems so odd. That seems so, to me, very British comics. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, here is the details of this tank. Here is a flag. You know, yes. and it's like, really? Really? You're spending a page of comics doing that? It's like, and you're Jack Kirby. But, uh, <laughs> but they are. They're such Kirby stories. Yeah. I, it, it's, it's amazing. And it's amazing that, I mean, the only, only other time I've read The Losers before in my life Mm-hmm. was in New Frontier. So I have no history with the characters beyond that. Right. And in New Frontier, they're awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, for the, the however many pages they appear, they're great. And I was like, well, how bad can they be? And, you know, they're Kirby characters, so they're not even really characters. Right, right. They're, they're background people to be macho and shout things while the real story is happening somewhere else. Yeah. And it's, and it's just, but there's such great stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's it's funny. I was reading it, and I, what it made me think of more than anything was Inglorious Bastards. That oh god damn you, bastard! Yes, that was actually going to be my my post was going to be talking about. <laughs> hey, it, you can edit that out and write your post. No, no, no. We might as well include it because seriously, I started that post like a million years ago, where I was going to talk about Gravity's Rainbow, Inglorious Bastards, and Jack Kirby's Losers, uh, and. Uh, and and I never quite it kept sprawl my notes kept sprawling more and more out of control and it was just something that I couldn't figure out how to tie it all together in any way that was at all cohesive, so I, I just kind of scrapped it. So, but it, it's Inglorious Bastards now feels to me like a Jack Kirby's Loser story. <laughs> but it really is. Do you know? I think it's the same type of story. It's the same type of story. It's the same type of storytelling. Yeah. No, I I think that is actually a brilliant. The thing that's funny is, is I my my take on it was more abstract. Was that the weird thing about Inglorious Bastards and Jack Kirby's Losers is they're both books about the war that are really works about the power of imagination. I suppose. Yeah, they're they're both sort of reimaginings of the war. Exactly. Losers, especially, feels to me like. That's what Kirby wanted the war to have been like. That's what's so amazing, isn't it? Like, it's really crazy to me. To the, the Losers is kind of a capstone of Kirby's war comics in that it's like, here's a guy who saw war. Here's a guy who saw levels of combat and carnage that we can't really imagine, you know? I mean, I certainly can't. And when he has a chance to do a war comic... It's like clearly not the war. Like there's the ways in which it seems to approach some sort of concept about the war is 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 almost in kind of like abstract. Like there's some real abstract shots of shit blowing up 
that I remember in, in that loser's omnibus that really kind of like took, you know, made me sort of like sit up straight and go, wow, what's going on here? But, but for the most part, it's a, it's a war comic that you would have a really hard time believing that the guy actually served in World War II in combat. And that somehow makes it all the more powerful, I think. But it's, it's a war comic about war comics. Yeah. So, so many of the, the situations are almost stock situations. Right. But there's a humanity to it. And it's never the losers. <laughs> the, the humanity always comes from another character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that, but it's that humanity that, that makes me believe that he saw combat. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, there, 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 there's a, uh, even for the bad guys, mm-hmm. even for the Germans, yeah. there's, there's, they're human. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they're human in a way that the main characters aren't, which I know we've had this conversation before, really reminds me of the Silver Age Superman stories, mm. which are never about Superman. Right, right. Yeah, that's a, that's, that's a, hmm, let's see how we can tie this all together. You know, it's, it is interesting. I do feel that uh, the thing about the losers is that, you know, considering in our last part, we were sort of talking about Grant Morrison and his, you know, kind of his archness and also his, his meta comicness, I suppose, mm-hmm. is I can see him trying to create something that is like Kirby in that Kirby's work has a, I don't know what you would call it, a moving through itness, I suppose. Like he, like you said, he's not interested in the losers per se. In fact, you know, there there's the stock characters, the war comic situations. Some of those are stock situations. What's interesting to him is the humanity or the story that he can tell, the riff he can build into it. But he does all of that in ways that never feel arch you know or well, I, I think part of it is mm-hmm. kirby kirby can't do arch because and this is going to completely sound insulting it's not meant to kirby didn't think like that kirby was not smart enough to think that he was doing a metagonic kirby right. was too sincere to do all of those things kirby was telling the stories that he wanted to tell on some gut level kirby, kirby was like the ultimate outsider comics artist yes exactly Exactly. Well, that he was an outsider artist, but also that I believe that, um, yeah, that he became so good. It's like the stories that he was telling were not being told in a conscious way. And so therefore there's, there's no self-consciousness in his stories because they're almost entirely unconscious, you know, Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. uh, definitely when I, I wrote that piece about, um, the, the last of the, 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 uh, fourth World Omnibuy, where I talked about comparing him to jazz. That that really clicked for me because you know, a jazz man can take those can take a blues standard and turn it out without paying attention to it. And what he's really interested in is where he can take that blues tune. And mm-hmm. I really feel that that's the case with Kirby. Is that Kirby did superhero comics or war comics or dinosaur comics, all the stuff that he was doing after a certain point in time in the way that a jazz person might tackle a style of music or a genre of music where where his his ability to riff on it because of his the mastery of his of his instrument, of being able to control of his storytelling chops, um, you know, was just that prodigious. So. Well, I, I, I agree and disagree because I think what happened 
Kirby, and this is meant as a compliment and not an insult, was after, God, after like Fantastic Four, he couldn't tell a straight superhero comic to save his life. I mean, look, he takes over Captain America. Right. Holy crap, what did Captain America become? Yeah. He just, he, he was unable to do it. I think Kirby was forced to tell the stories that he told. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why Losers isn't really a war comic. And that's why Devil Dinosaur isn't really a dinosaur comic. None, none of them fit within the, the confines of the genre because I don't think he... He made everything he was doing personal because, that, because I think that's all he could do. Mm-hmm. Um, that he continually transcended genre. Well, you know, to, to step back on this, one of the things that I find fascinating is is that Kirby didn't really... After a certain point, and the Captain America thing is a fine underlining of this, he, he really doesn't really believe in the supervillain after a certain point. You know what I mean? Like, he'll put superheroes in there, but if you look at the Captain America stuff, he fights all those dudes for the mad bomb guys. You know, he'll fight he'll fight irradiated monsters, he fights things from outer space, then he fights like genetically altered freaks, you know, with the red skull. And then maybe at the very end you get the night flyer that's the closest you could kind of get to like a supervillain. But like all through like the fourth world stuff, you know, or the Eternals, there's no concept like like there's something where the idea of somebody like putting on a suit and a mask and going to rob a bank, as far as Kirby's concerned, that's utterly either beneath his notice or it makes no sense because it never appears, you know? Well, Kirby ended up becoming as much of a humanist as Eisner did. Mm-hmm. Both, of the, both of them just believe in people. Mm-hmm. And I think the idea of a supervillain is almost um, the opposite of that. I think they trust... I don't know if it's in the goodness of humanity, but they trust in people so much mm-hmm. that the idea that someone is just going to be evil for the sake of being evil, right. they can't really wrap their heads around it. Well, and this might, this might be a generational thing, and mm-hmm. this might be uh, an experience thing, mm-hmm. but I, I really feel that both of them after a while couldn't tell that sort of pulpy story anymore without doing more with it. Well, I guess. I mean, you know, it's funny you mention that because the other thing that I find is fascinating as a Kirby staple is, of course, the, you know, the the person with the steel body part. You know what I mean? Like, that's such a, like, it's like some guy with a steel jaw or some guy with a steel hand or some guy with a steel elbow. I mean, he has lots of, he has gangsters and he also has evil guys with steel appendages for hire. Like, I, like... Like, he must have looked in a phone book once and seen an ad that traumatized him for life or something. Because there's all these guys for hire with iron or something. It's, or it's someone who's had part of the humanity replaced. Right. Oh, I see. Ooh. <laughs> Look at you with the metaphor. You la la. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> no, true. Absolutely. Okay, when you put it like that, it's, of course, wildly obvious. But I'm like, no, no, the steel's something. Like, I don't know. Like... I, I thought maybe Jack Kirby got pushed around by somebody with an artificial hip or something. Oh, if you think about it, like, it's probably a lot to do with his age. I mean, mm-hmm. that, that to me ties into like his age, mm-hmm. the war, the experiences of people becoming to humanize through combat and literally through losing part of their body right. and it being placed artificially. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I think I think there's so much you can read into that. So that could be entirely like I'm just projecting all of that now. 
No, 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 no. I think I think it's I, I think you're on the right track. I think it might be something that I would I would argue about in a half-assed way because I think, weirdly enough, the thing that I find that Kirby seems to have been influenced by. Uh, like gangster movies and monster movies from the Depression more than his time in the war, you know? Um, and that's... Well, no, I, consciously, I think yes. Subconsciously, I think no. I think there's no way you can read Fourth World and not read into it his experiences in the war and his experiences post-war. Agreed. Yeah, at a subconscious level, that and, and also just, I think, the amount, the amount of violence and the amount of just the amount of fighting, the the amount of his characters are literally warriors for the most part, and to the point where they they risk losing their humanity, which I, I think is is part of why his whole dark side um, Orion stuff in Fourth World is so incredibly powerful. You know? But it's also, I mean, the Hunger Dogs, which you know visually is lesser Kirby, mm-hmm. writing wise, I think is is. Is amazing. Oh God! And I, I don't think Hunger Dogs gets nearly enough credit for the writing. I agree. I agree. Um, and some of the art is striking. The, the art, the art's interesting. Different. Yeah, it, but it's, it's quite clearly like latter period Kirby, where yeah, it's it like latter period Schultz. His hand was not doing what he wanted it to do. Right. It also suffers from appallingly bad inking in places. Yeah, the the inking too was kind of frustrating, but but I agree the writing and the the you know the the tone of of Hunger Dogs is is unbelievably different than what you would think that it's it's going to be walking into it. Looking at the cover, looking at everything that came before it, whether it's the huge chunk of time in between the issues or whatever, it ends up being a shockingly elegiac, you know. Uh, Novel for everybody, you know, including yeah. Darkseid in that sense. Yes, yeah. so. and I, I think I think Darkseid's characterization, characterization in Hunger Dogs is just stunning, and it always depresses me that no one gives him that characterization ever again. No, no, it, it pretty much it's like that never happened, and and that's kind of the. No, other but thing. I, I'm I'm okay with like that never have happened. Do you know what I mean? Because pretty much, you know, I will, it, there I can think of one comic that actually followed up on Hunger Dogs. Um, super friends. Super powers, yeah. Super powers is like the one comic that yeah. actually pulls up on, on Hunger Dogs. Um, but like, I'm okay with it because you know, it, it, in many respects, like it ends the classic Force World setup. I'm okay with them ignoring that continuity wise, but characterization wise, I think it's really depressing that no one has ever given Darkseid that amount of ambivalence, I guess, about about himself. Right. Well, I you know, it's kind of interesting. This might be another fun library book that I can mention to pile on on top of this is on your recommendation, I checked out that uh, Tales of the New Gods trade that they Oh, have. the ba- the backups from the from the Exactly. Uh, Seventh series, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, that was that was a really interesting read, uh, I have to say. I mean, I had cuz a lot of the backups are like real funky little origin stories, you know? Mm-hmm. Um Yeah. Uh, and I actually thought that uh, when Byrne takes it over and he does a whole long riff about, um, you know, who ends up becoming Darkseid and who ends up becoming, uh, you know, Tattoo the for- Forever Man, was, was really well handled, actually. I, I thought that was in a, you know, comic nerd, like, dot the I, cross the T kind of way. I, I'm telling you, track down the Simonson series. You yes. will... You will love the writing in the Simonson series. 
Yeah, I, I, I will, I will have. You, you really will. It's, it starts off really roughly. The issues that we've been in trade are by no means the best issues. Well, I to, to the point where I'd say they might be the worst issues. <laughs> Um, it, once it actually gets going, once it comes down to Orion realizing that he is going to have the final showdown with Darkseid, right? Um, it's just it's on fire. It really is, and and it just the way that everything is done. I mean, because I I told you the plot before, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the fact that it, it, it the fact that it goes that way is is fascinating. Yeah. Hey, did I tell you my spectacular um, Jimmy Olsen story? that uh, I thought of and then realized I was never going to write Jimmy Olsen, therefore I will tell you. <laughs> yes, please do. I have not heard Jimmy it. O- Jimmy Olsen breaks into Project Cam- Cadmus, Cadmus? Mm-hmm. Cadmus? Mm-hmm. to steal the hero dial. Jimmy Olsen with the hero dial, there's your series. Lovely. That is awesome. That is that is very nice. That's You can have you can have that, DC. <laughs> I, I was, because I was reading Showcase... Um, Dial for Hero, which is appallingly bad. But I was realizing, <laughs> why has no one ever given Jimmy Olsen the Hero Dial? It would be he, a great he, match. He calls up the Newsboy Legion, mm-hmm. they break into Project Cadmus, which in current continuity no longer exists anyway. It's like a shell. So, they do that, they break and steal the Hero Dial, Jimmy goes off and does whatever he needs to do with the Hero Dial. Ah, that's a great idea. Cut it out of this, pitch into DC. <laughs> right, exactly. I mean, honestly, I just want, you know, Jimmy Olsen transvestite back. You know, I, I really like, there's something about the humiliated character that I think would be kind of fun to do uh, again. You know, because every time they sort of bring back Jimmy Olsen in DC, it, it feels like every few years someone takes a crack at like Jimmy Olsen and why he's relevant, you know, or Jimmy Olsen and here's why he works now in this time. And, you know, I think didn't Chuck Austin do like a whole lot? He, he did this year and then. And killed him off a bit, which was kind of awesome. Yeah, uh, wait, he killed him off? He didn't really, but like they pretended for a good six months that Jimmy Olsen was dead. Oh, okay. They, they had a Jimmy Olsen special, which ended with Jimmy getting shot and falling into the river, and then Jimmy is missing for six months. And, and, and literally, they're just like, and like the special was called something like the death of Jimmy Olsen. Wow. And I mean, it was ballsy because literally they just left him out of the book. Wow. And, and people were like, Have you seen Jimmy? I've not seen Jimmy. It was awesome, and then like he comes back and he's like, "I've been undercover." But... <laughs> Your Jimmy Olsen voice is like the best voice in the world, Graham. I could never do that again. Please, oh god, damn it! I was just gonna say, like, let's totally our next podcast. You can pretend to be Jimmy Olsen and talk just like that, and I'll like call you up and like we'll just have conversations about what it's like to be Superman's best friend. And I hate the goddamn watch because that voice was like the best fucking thing ever. It really was. I'm sorry, Jeff. I could never do it again. Oh, no, Graham. I, I swear to God, I'm going just, to edit this podcast. Exactly. I'm going to make it my fucking ringtone on my goddamn phone. That was brilliant. That was the best thing ever. I've been undercover. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, awesome. I, I was going to say that it was actually going to be pretty brilliant if, like, um,. If, you know, Jimmy Olsen had been, like, killed off and then, like, nobody noticed for, like, six months, you know, people are like... That was pretty much the thing. People were like, he's late for work. And he was, like, last time anyone saw him, he had been shoved in the chest and falling into the river. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. I'm telling you, the the, the, um, the James Robinson... uh, God, who were the writers? Sterling Gates and Greg Rucker. 
like Superman era, like that year or year and a half. Uh-huh. Like there's serious lag about midway through, but the start and the end were spectacularly good. <laughs> well, that's great. I remember you liking them at the beginning, and I don't remember if you actually did a review when they wrapped up. I did. I did a review pretty much before the wrap up. I did a review oh, okay. of the World of New Crypt and finished, and the World of New Crypt and finished really poorly. Yeah, I remember and, you and saying my, that. My review was pretty much like, "Fuck you! You started with so much promise." Um, and then, but the end, I think, really picked up. I think that the, the um, not so much War of Superman, which is pretty much like exactly what you'd expect. But the last time New Krypton series, I thought was really good. And oh, I really yeah. like the fact that the first issue of so last time New Krypton is Brainiac attacks what is New Krypton, which used to be the bottle city of Kandor, Kandor. right? Um, and they all basically shit their pants. <laughs> they like collectively are so traumatized by this. That they completely shit their bands. I like it comes down to the Legion of Superheroes, Superman and Supergirl, have to basically save them. Wow. And they try and they basically, it doesn't work out so well because Lex Luthor's there and Lex Luthor just fucks everyone up. <laughs> and so it falls, to, it ends up with Zod and Brainiac punching each other <laughs> to the end. That's like the end of Last Time New Krypton. But New Krypton survives. And I was like, why did they call it Last Time New Krypton? And it's because the first issue of War of Superman, they destroy New Krypton. <laughs> Like the very first issue. <laughs> it's, like, it's like retroactively, that really was the last time of New Krypton because he <laughs> destroyed it. <laughs> why Why do they do these things? Why? I swear. It's just so like... So, so the bottle city of Kandor doesn't exist anymore, huh? No. Because it all got brought back. And oh, no, wait. Did, no, it's gone. It's entirely gone. They, they destroyed New Krypton. They, they, if New Krypton is candor now, no more. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's gone. Wow. Just what, what an amazing pissing away of potential, you know? Well, they've, I, actually, they've actually got a lot of them alive at times. Oh, right. You so know, they've, literally, they've literally just got rid of the location. I've got another thing to talk about. This is great. Oh, what? I just realized, well... Moving from the library to the digital library, uh, back when comics. I have I have illegally downloaded. <laughs> Call it what you will. Uh, no, no, no. Actually, Comicology's uh, absolutely awesome sale they had last week. Exactly. They, which, which was great, wasn't it? It was nice. Did you actually pick anything up? I did not. I completely forgot to. But uh, I do have something to make up for it today. I can say this because it's going to be announced tonight, so that's fine. Um, Comicsology and Image are announcing partnership tomorrow, and I have a, a journalist pass to get in. Holy crap! So wait, so what does this mean exactly? They're, they're basically, doing... it basically means Comicsology has everyone. Jesus uh, God! Comicsology has exclusive deals with DC, Marvel, and Image. Well, and and, and non-exclusive Pilgrim. non-exclusive deals with. Um, IDW and Oni, Oni and Dark Horse and Boom. Wow! Holy shit! So Comicsology basically has won the digital comics war. <laughs> wow. Well, I, I mean that's not surprising to me because you know they well, Comicsology had yeah had Kirkman stuff for a long time. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and Top Cow stuff, which is a, a pretty big chunk of image right there. I mean. The regularly published stuff or something. Yeah, so. I, I'm looking forward to seeing what, what is on the image store. I haven't actually been yet, but um, I'm mm-hmm. looking to see what they've got. Because there's a lot of image books these days that I think are very interesting and, and continually surprising to me to publish it. Because image 
for all their sins, still to me is like, hey, it's 1990s, terrible superheroes. And then you're like, they've published the Bulletproof Coffin. Oh, right. you know? Yeah, exactly. Bulletproof Coffin is, is kind of, I'm, yeah, no, they always do stuff. I can never count them out. I just also have a tendency to, Image is one of those companies that I tend to ignore until the buzz says otherwise, you know? Yeah. As opposed to other companies that I mainly keep my eye on and then, you know, and then ignore it will, I suppose. So, Comixology's awesome sale where everything got marked down dramatically. I started by thinking, hey, you know what? I never picked up the conclusion of the Jeff Johns, Richard Donner action comics storyline. And I was always kind of curious as to how that turned out. So, I, I bought it and then realized for 99 a i couldn't remember how the rest of the story went and so for 99 cents i got all the other issues ha ha um uh yeah and then sat down and and read it and and i will tell you that actually what what ended up happening was great is i bought the issues in the sale and then the sale ended and then i realized that i thought i had all the pieces because they're not clearly labeled and in fact the very the the very last piece of action comics before the annual was like Action 851, which was like four, or they ran like four or five fill-in issues that I had skipped over. So when I started reading, like I got to the conclusion, what I thought was the last part of the Action Comics. Graham? You disappeared. I totally disappeared. All of a sudden, Skype pooped out on me. I guess my... there's two you're, po- talk, you're talking about Action Comics. Yes. You're like, we don't want to talk about Jeff Jones. <laughs> That's it. Jeff Johns hit the terminate now button. Um, I don't know. I think, you know, my uh, my Wi-Fi is running a little low and mm-hmm. also my laptop's running a little hot. So maybe those combined. But yeah, all of a sudden I'm talking to you and all of a sudden I got a wah, wah kind of noise that I've never gotten before off of Skype. Um, this, this is all I heard. I heard the you, you got all, you thought you had all the parts and then the last issue before the annual and then you disappeared. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Okay, well, sorry about this, listeners. We'll suture this together so it looks a little, makes a little more sense in the in the editing. Um, right, I get to what I thought was the last issue of Action, uh, jump into the annual, and three pages in, I'm like, wait a minute, how did Superman get out of the Phantom Zone? This makes no sense whatsoever. And of course, I had to go back, read every individual description on Comicsology, and realized I had missed an issue and had to pay a buck ninety nine for it. So. It's a tough life paying a buck ninety nine for a comic when you got all the others for ninety nine cents. Damn it! Because I would have gotten it for ninety nine cents if I had just known better, Graham. If I had just known better, uh, which actually is a kind of a good point about the whole comicsology thing is. You'd love for them to say this is part three of four, part four. Of four. Uh, yeah, yeah, or even like there's something where like like the way that Batman is going on now, like if you look on the DC app. It's, it's kind of ludicrous because you'll have like Batman Year One, at, which is like I don't know four oh seven through four ten, and then you've got Hush, uh, whatever issues those are, and then you have the the Morrison run starting, which just passed like six sixty six. Oh, I know. So it's like four oh seven through four ten for Batman Year One, and then Hush is well in the six hundreds, and then you've got you know Grant Morrison stuff, which is like you know th- two three years after that. Um, and so when you're searching through it, it's just all these conglomerations of numbers. And Marvel, in some ways, has it worse because at some points they're running like 
three different iterations of Iron Man, like, all at the same time. Or Spider-Man, you'll have, like, the Lee Ditko stuff, the JMS stuff, and the, the Brand New Day stuff. And they're all pumping out, continuing to put add issues to the library. It's baffling. And I'm like somebody who, like, you know, of course I follow comics enough to know, okay, well, this comes after this. And, you know, it's not like in the 70s anymore. There aren't it's very rare that you have a string of like five fill-in issues but I really had this thing of like why don't they just package this as Batman Hush part one of six or whatever and then it it just makes more sense when you're looking at it like you know they're doing a great job I, I hope of getting people who used to read comics back in but for like a first time comics reader jumping on those apps that shit's kind of baffling you see, that kind of surprises me because um, you know how DC's been doing the 99 cents first issue of a storyline promotion? Right. Mm-hmm. Have you actually seen the books? Um, the the ones online? No, no, no. The, the ones, the, the print ones. Uh, not... D- DC, are, DC are putting out every month like a certain, I think, six um, first issues of storylines that oh. they're promoting. Because really they're promoting the graphic novel. Right. But what's interesting to me is they put it out with the cover of the graphic novel. Mm-hmm. So, for example, there's a reprint of Detective issue, whatever, 864 or something. Right. But it's the front cover of Batwoman Elegy, uh. which makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think they've done the same for Hush, and I think they've done the same for all these other books. Right. So, and, and that's the way they should be doing it online. I'm actually kind of surprised they're not. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing that kind of surprises me, too, is they seem somewhat sensible. The other thing that I thought was hilarious in these sort of shenanigans is, uh, as you probably know, even though you don't follow the, the, the digital stuff yourself, you know, they pulled the Vertigo uh, yes, yes, from DC and stuck them on Comixology, which makes sense for age appropriateness. But when DC released that huge con special download, mm-hmm. half of those titles were Vertigo titles, you know? So you got like... Hello. I am not on Skype right now. <laughs> Please leave a message. Your voice will... <laughs> Technical difficulties there, Jeff. I know. It's really bad. All right. <laughs> you know the best thing? I what? called you back, and I actually got a recorded message going, hello, I'm not on Skype right now. <laughs> not from you, like some woman's voice. <laughs> if oh. ever there was a sign, my friend, that we are supposed to stop, it's when your Skype crashes twice. Agreed, agreed. Okay, well, I will edit that stuff off, and next time when we talk, no, we'll have to I talk. I think that should be the end. I think the end should be <laughs> me in the middle of saying something with Stuart and it just crashes. <laughs> <laughs>